0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Welcome to Intuitive Connections, where spirituality and psychology meet to help you be your best and brightest self. I'm your host, Victoria Shaw, and in each episode, I'll help you to awaken your own inner wisdom, step into your power, and live a more divinely inspired life. You're here to let your inner light shine. Are you ready? Let's do this. So hello and welcome to Intuitive Connection. Today we have a guest again, and this is someone that I have known, what, since high school, right? I mean, you're a couple years older than me, but it was high school. Yeah. Yeah. And so our paths have crisscrossed a couple of times, but Pam does a really cool thing for her living that I'm so excited to share with you. Pam is a professional improviser. She's also an author, teacher, and happiness coach, and the founder and president of Happier Valley Comedy, the first and only comedy theater in Western Massachusetts, which provides regular shows, a full comedy training program, and a thorough laughter program for professional and personal development and happiness. So Pam, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So you have a really interesting story about how you got to do what you do and become a happiness coach and professional improviser. Can you share that a little bit with the listeners? How does one become a professional improviser? You take improv classes. That's it.
1: And then you you get paid to perform improv. And then you get to call yourself a professional improviser.
0: That doesn't sound hard at all.
1: No, it's not. Everybody can become a professional improviser who wants to.
0: (laughs) Well, you also, uh, most people, when they do something professionally, they also want to have the ability to sustain themselves doing it. So I do get to do it for
1: a full-time living. So it is now my living. And that's what I started out as an experiment to do the, what I call the, can I make a living doing what I love experiment. Okay. Where I, I was homeschooling my kids. My older daughter went off to college. It was time to like, I could go back to work or I could, you know, I don't know what to do, but I decided maybe I could make a living doing this thing. I deeply, deeply loved. I, in the meantime, I'd fallen in love with improv and improv is kind of like that. When it hits you, it's like the heavens open up and it's just like, this is you, this is your thing, these are your people. And there's kind of, I had no choice but to follow it. And intuition was definitely played a huge part in it because I was fighting my intuition a lot because it would be experiences, even before I started to the, the can I make a living doing what I love experiment, where I just like felt like I had to be I was just improvising kind of on my own. I started, I founded an improv team. I booked some shows, but it was just like, I was a mom and I was doing it on the side. And like my critical voice was saying, you're just a dilettante. That was the word that like really hung me up. And that, so to call myself a professional improviser now is very exciting and and empowering. But then there was this thing inside of me like you need to take more classes you need to go to chicago and study in chicago because that's the heart of long-form improv uh the kind that i really love and i wanted to go to the chicago improv festival so i like that was one way it started so i was like i don't know why i really want to do this and i said to my husband like i don't know why i want to go to this thing i'm not performing in it my my team got didn't get in but I still really wanna go to the Chicago Improv Festival. And I cried about it a ton. And then I think I was talking to my cousin who I call my cousin's sister friend. And she was like, and I'm like, I'm just a dilettante. You know, and she's like, so be a dilettante. Go to Chicago and be a dilettante. I'm like, okay. And it, it was amazing. Like the minute I touched down, the minute I stepped foot into the Chicago Improv Festival, doors opened. Like it was amazing. Like I met the person who founded and ran the improv festival and we hit it off. I saw one of the best improv shows I had ever seen in my life. I met people like, and everything in my improv life was like that. I was like, didn't know why I wanted to do it, but I did it anyways, even though I was really, really scared. You know, I studied in Chicago for five weeks at an intensive and I had to move heaven and earth to get coverage for my kids. And all this stuff. Like I had my in-laws had to move in with us. And it was crazy. And again, I was like, well, I don't know why I'm doing this. There's no reason why I should do this. I didn't have aspirations or even had thoughts of becoming a professional improviser at the time. But because I did that, it led to other things and to writing a book in the book like you know. So when my kid went off to college, I was like, I wanna be an improviser. I wanna do this for a living. I don't know anybody who does something like this for a living in a small town, but I'm gonna try it anyways. So I gave myself one one year to make the living exclusively through improv comedy. And it went pretty well. <laughs> wow. Long story long.
0: <laughs> That's an amazing story. It's an amazing story in so many ways. And it's so inspiring, first of all, because you talk about, you know, following your intuition, listening to those clues, feeling that pull of what excites you or what you felt like you knew in your bones you had to do. And how many people on this planet right now, when that happens for them, take advantage.
1: You did, Yeah. And just to be super clear, I sometimes was dragging my feet, tears, doubts. You know, I I would, you know, I I had another mantra that Susan Messing, who's this big improviser in Chicago. She's fantastic. And she said, you know, I'm just like, I'm scared to go to Chicago and study. And she's like, you need to do this for you. And she said, being brave means being scared and doing it anyway with the result of flying used a swear word in there. I took it out for you. <laughs> Thank you. Because <laughs> we're improvisers. That's what we do. So that we get like, I printed it out. I wrote it up, printed it out. And it. that I like, I just kept being like, I'm scared, but I'm doing it anyways. I'm scared, but I'm doing it anyways.
0: That's so powerful.
1: And that's, that's what improv teaches you to do, to just jump, right? Yeah. You just
0: jump and trust that you'll be caught. And I think that's why I was so drawn to talking to you and not even knowing this story. Cause I didn't. But knowing about improv and I only did improv and I swear to God, I remember that you were in this class, but you tell me that that is impossible. And we did not go to the same school at that time, but I'm going to remember it as being you anyway, because why not? Memories valuable. I know that from my own training, but I did it a little bit. I want to say in like late elementary into middle school, I remember that we had a teacher and she like her parents owned a local theater and she was a high school kid and she was teaching us. And we would do these improvs and it was like so cool and so powerful and so fun. And, and a lot of it felt like play to us too. But I took that class. You took that. See, I knew it was you. Yeah. You my been, senior with time. Year.
1: Did we play like uh, my memory of that class is we played a lot of
0: the newlywed game. I think like, it was the same class. See, <laughs> I do have a memory. It is correct. But nonetheless, I remember it being so much fun. But, you know. And I was telling you this before we got on on you know the recording. To me, I always think of improv as a metaphor for life. I really think about you know, and people that listen to the show know this whole idea, we plan our lifetimes before we're born, but we don't plan everything. So you get the general, you get the location usually, or the locations, you get the main players, you get the big themes and maybe some of the touchstone moments. And then you drop down and you of course you forget, you get into character, you forget everything that you planned, <laughs> and then you just work with what's happening. Yeah. And, you know, that's, I really think how life works. And I definitely know that's how improv works. And so I can just imagine, you know, first of all, how fun it is, but also the, the learning and growth opportunities it can be from embracing life, like it's an improv or even like embracing improv, like it's life.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that to me and the way I perform improv and the way I practice and teach improv, it is, it gives me a blueprint for life. And I think that's why it just hit me right away and resonated with me because it was like, oh, this, you cannot give me a problem that I can't find a solution through improv. I always say it's like the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, you know, in, the, in that movie, the father, the, the father thought Windex was the cure for everything. That's how I am with improv. I'm like, give me a problem. I'll tell you what the tenet of improv that relates to that problem. And it just like I always have some way to navigate whatever comes up in life just by following the tenets of improvisation, which I define as acceptance of the reality of the moment and the agreement to move forward with positivity. So acceptance and agreement. So accept, yeah. this is what's happening right now. And in order to know this is what's happening right now, we have to quiet our internal messengers of unhelpful judgment and fear, right? And we have to listen and be present and you know, not let whatever nonsense in our brains that's telling us stories that aren't true or helpful, and then focus and accept that reality, whether we like it or not, and move forward together with positivity. I mean, that's the part that you know, I enjoy heart. Maybe some people like to move forward together with grouchiness and
0: that's cool too. I love a Camargin. Yeah. Why bother? (laughs) I love it. And I think, I think that is akin to many spiritual teachings as well, right? Like as just a really good blueprint for life. Yeah, it's Mindfulness
1: of like, this is what's happening right now. And that's what we practice. And so the cool thing about improvisation is, So I get to practice and teach this in the gym, right? So like, it's, this is our improv is the gym for our soul. So we get to get on stage and practice acceptance, practice paying attention, practicing quieting the inner critic and over and over and over again, because it's a, we're all beginners. Like there's no, yeah, there's no
0: mastery of this because it's life improv is the gym for the soul i love that i love that that is brilliant so talk to me about the happiness coaching do you use improv for that as well or is it inspired by the improv
1: it's inspired by the improv there's certainly play and that came about also through this yeah i can't even it's so funny i really have to one day figure out where it came from, because I'm not 100% sure. I do know I wasn't interested in creating anything new, but the pandemic had different plans. You know, I've been creating this business. I've been creating Happier Valley Comedy. We opened a theater a couple of years ago. Things were going really, really well this time last year or, you know, 12, 13 months ago. And then the pandemic hit and we're just not teaching online. It's just not fun to, improvisation is a team sport. It's an in-person art form. To me, right. you can do it online. It's just not as fun. So I pivoted because I can't just sit home. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Because of the work that I've been doing lately, I know that my personal purpose and value is to facilitate laughter or joy, connection, and growth. And I couldn't do that as an improv teacher anymore. So I created the Happiness Experiment, which uses these tiny little daily habits. And I present a whole bunch of different daily habits and people pick one or two of them to do every day for 30 days. If you do the 30 day program, I give people all sorts of support. You could get an accountability buddy. It's all completely customized, self-designed. These things take like 30 seconds a day to maybe 10 minutes. If you really want to go hog wild, you can. And there are all these things that are based in science, because they all have evidence-based to increase well-being and wellness, and they are mindfulness practices too. So some of it is like taking five good breaths every day. Super simple. Just do that every day for 30 days and see if it helps. Writing a thank you note. Gratitude is part of it. There are all sorts of different gratitude practices. Taking a walk outside, you know, being in nature, uh, so some of them are real simple. And then there's always meditation is a big one because that's popular and very effective. And play is in every program because that I like play.
0: <laughs> yes, I'm a big fan of play as well. And I don't think I can sell play enough to people. No.
1: They don't um, always buy it though. <laughs> I want to sell it. I want to sell it. They don't want to buy it as much. Not that I we, we have problems getting people, but it's just like, it's hard to convince adults about the importance of play sometimes.
0: Well, you know, we've all had so much conditioning that tells us, you know, that play is not to be valued. I mean... I went to a super, super alternative progressive school. So I got, there were blocks in my classroom, I think until the sixth grade, but I'm I'm like not normal. But most of us have had this conditioning, right? That says, you know, put the toys away, stop having fun and get to work. And we learn it earlier and earlier. I mean, kids now learn that in kindergarten, right? And they learn, you know, this isn't supposed to be fun. And even learning, I remember my daughter, she's just, very precocious. And I used to buy her because she loved it. These math books and these reading books because she would just eat it up. Yeah. And her school started homework. I remember in first grade and in first grade, that's when she had, you know, she threw all the books away. She's like, no, mom, that's homework. Right. Right. And we yeah, used to call yeah. them learning books and she used to ask for them and she used to grab them. And it was such a joy. But when school took over, you know, she lost the love of it. And I think that happens for a lot of us. And we're taught, you know, to do what we should do rather than to do what we love.
1: Yes, and though the, the crazy thing is, when I was trying to do this experiment to see if I could make a living doing what I love, a friend of mine said, the thing is, Pam, if you do what you love for your work, you won't love it in the same way. And I was like, no, that's not possible. And then I, I just determined to prove her wrong. Good um, for you. However. <laughs> Did you? Oh, no, you
0: didn't prove her wrong?
1: <laughs> it's work. It turns out it's work. Uh yeah, this, there are times that I don't feel like performing. I wasn't feeling like performing improv and I had to because it was my job. And the interesting thing is the, I, ha- I was on a hamster wheel that I couldn't figure out how to get off and it didn't feel sustainable because I was working so much. I was working so much before the pandemic because I had to when you're starting a business. Right. That's what it is. And that's what it needs. And my job as an improviser is to be of service to the moment. And that's what my job needed. Uh, And the pandemic helped get me off that hamster wheel. So I haven't performed improv in person for over a year. I've done some online and I needed that break. So I'm super psyched. And I'm
0: just starting to be able to be like,
1: you know what, I think I want
0: to perform again. (laughs) I think too, for so many people, the pandemic has served that role. It has taken things away from us that, you know, we thought we needed, we thought we loved, and it's actually given a lot of people that reset. And it's also given us that chance to kind of go inside and be like, wait, did I really like that so much? And restart and hopefully on a new foot.
1: Yeah. And my business partner and I talk about, I had do this thing called conscious mindful growth when it comes to the business. So we always, we always want conscious mindful growth. So we're talking about, and part of it is just having this conversation with him and it's like, I'm scared. I'm going to go back to working 50 hours a week and it's going to be too much and I'm going to stop loving it as much. And so we're really determined to see if we could do conscious, mindful growth with the reopening. I'm still working a ton, but
0: not. Does conscious, mindful growth mean 50 hours a week and doing what you love to the extent that you don't love it anymore? (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't sound so great at all.
1: Right, right. Well, that's what it turned out to be, even though I was. So when I started the happiness experiment, I was in a place of total yes, right? right? So improvisation is yes and. So I had to say yes to everything because I was building something from zero, from nothing. Right. So just because something was scary and I had never done it before was not a good enough reason to say no to it. There might be a good enough reason to say no, but that wasn't the reason. So people would say, do you wanna do a keynote? And I, my, in my head, I'd be like, no way, I've never done that. But my mouth would say, okay. And so I figured out how to do it. You know, They wanna do, I teach another class. And I'd say to the students, well, what do you wanna learn? And so I would teach them what they, you know, so you just kept figuring it out, going along. And I, I feel like I built the house around myself as I was living in it. And now I have a chance to redecorate a little bit. So, so during, I was in a place of yes. And then after two years, it was just not sustainable at all. Like it was way too much for just me. So that's when I started conscious mindful growth. I didn't say yes to everything. It had to go through a little litmus test.
0: Right. Well, it sounds like you developed some discernment too. I think at first, you know, when we're learning to listen and learning not to naysay everything, we sometimes have to free ourselves. Yeah. But then it also seems like now you're able to tune back in and say, okay, you know, maybe I will not do something because it's scary, but maybe I'll not do something because it's too much.
1: Right. It's more energy than I want to give. And that's not what makes me happy. And also there's that money thing. Like, Most improv theaters who have people working full time are not in small towns. In fact, I don't know any in small towns. Right. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. It's wild. It's wild. And it's it is our gift, like as it turns (laughs) out. I thought it was our albatross and it ends up being our gift. So I didn't I had to say yes because I was afraid we I wouldn't be able to pay ourselves. And I I then I had a partner and I wanted to pay him. And I always say his five-year-old is my boss, I say, because We need to keep Amelia, five-year-old Amelia in, uh, in food, you know?
0: Yeah. (laughs) So the fear, the fear creeps back
1: in. Yeah. And it's an old one. That's an old one. That's, that comes, you know, that comes from my dad who was like, if you're not making money, it's not valuable. Yeah.
0: And you said something else earlier going back that I think is so cool. And especially because you have this happiness experiment, right? And so you're still in the throes of it. I'm thinking, figuring out how you follow the happiness and how you keep on that track. And of course, I'm also someone whose work is a hundred thousand times a a love-based labor. But of course, there's always days, right? When you don't feel like doing something, you know, because- that's just, that is just one of those things about life. And I think it's the orientation. I think if it's every day for me, then I would totally shift what I was doing. Cause I would say, oh, this isn't the thing I should be doing anymore. Cause it's not bringing me happy. But I also know like, and there are parts of any job, right. That are not fun. I don't like billing. Um, right. Uh, and exactly. unfortunately, sometimes it takes me a really long time to charge people, which is, is a problem, <laughs> but it's just going, that's so tedious, you know, or entering notes or,
1: Well, and to me, I call it the happiness experiment because I'm the head of of Happier Valley Comedy. It's kind of our brand. And the reason we're Happier Valley Comedy is the area in in Western Mass where I live, the nickname is the Happy Valley. Right. So we say we make the Happy Valley happier. But it's, I wouldn't say I'm teaching happiness with the happiness experiment. It's about resilience. It's about wellness, self-care. It's bigger than happiness. You know, the joy experiment, I guess I could call it that. Because joy to me is deeper. It's like a bass beat, you know, whereas happiness is the boop, 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 bitty, boop, 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 right? Sometimes that's, it's, it's there and sometimes it's not, but it's the, the joy is the thrum and that's what I'm going for. And right. so sometimes we have to do stuff that's in between the, the beats that isn't always so fun, but it gets us to the big picture. Absolutely. The
0: general joy. This, like, So I have to do the bills because that's part of doing what I love. Exactly. And I would want to call you too, because I do think that it is a belief that a lot of us have around this idea that if you know, you make what you love your work, you spoil it. And I really don't think it has to be that way. It's really about your orientation to work right? And what you think work means and how you think work has to go. And of course, again, if you're trying to support yourself doing something, sometimes there are moments when you might choose to do things that you might not choose to do if you weren't trying to support yourself and doing that thing.
1: Absolutely. And the other thing is like, I don't know how the story is going to end. So yeah. that's right. This part of the story. So, for, you know, that was that part of the story, but in the big picture, I think being in that fallow period even if I had continued to perform, but still to be in that fallow period is instructive and it will make me a better improviser teacher, all those things, because I came into improv. I mean, like, that was what happened. I have, I had a limitless, I thought my well was bottomless, right? I I could, I was like the cookie monster. It was just like more, 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 more. Um, So I found the bottom and that's cool because now I get to think about it as a sustainable practice. Yeah. Which means saying no to some things and saying yes to other things. And I think that's great. So, I, yes, yeah, just thank you. I wouldn't say I ruined it. <laughs> I don't know. get that impression at all. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Like yeah. it's just, and it's also changing and growing. So, that's the other cool thing about the part of me not loving performing as much as I used to is now I can leave that space for other people. And my job, like I said, is to facilitate growth, connection, and joy. So if I could facilitate people doing their love of performing improv without me feeling like I want to be in every show, that's a better way to be of service to my community.
0: Yeah, I think it all makes perfect sense. (laughs) Talk to me about the experience of teaching improv. Like why do people come to the theater? Why, what do people get out of it?
1: It's such a good question. And as I was saying, the great thing about where I do it is that people are coming to my theater In our space, just because for the love of improv, versus like if you go to an improv theater in a big city, they're doing improv often to get up on stage, to get stage time, to maybe be seen by somebody, maybe to be you know get cast on Saturday Night Live or something like that. Nobody's coming to Happy (laughs) or failing comedy cast on Saturday Night Live, and our demographic tends to be a little bit older. I'm a I don't know, fifty-four year old woman, and that's about what our demographic is, which is great because people come. Can people, people come because they say it's cheaper than therapy? They come, I think, to be in connection with other people. I mean, that's why they stay. I think they come for different reasons than they right. stay. They're they're right lately. They're coming because everybody tells them they they need to come. We're getting a really nice buzz. Therapists are recommending it because they're seeing the growth that's happening. And I think really what's happening is, and you can't stop it once you start, like right. me, most of my people who are my first students ever are still part of our community, taking classes, performing, teaching, being on cast, like all of it, because you it's, just, it's this beautiful way of being in connection with other people in an open-hearted, mindful, playful way. And you come into the theater and you take your class And you leave feeling better. I'll come in and it's the same for me as teaching because I love teaching. That's really what I am. I'm a teacher. That's what I'm meant to be. And I can go into class feeling like maybe I'm catching a cold or feeling really draggy. And man, two hours later, I feel better. Cold's gone, full of energy. Life is good you know, and it's just taking a break from real life and just being there with other human beings and in our silly, fallible,
0: goofy selves. It sounds beautiful. And it sounds, it sounds amazing. And it sounds like it helps people be present, be authentic, get out of their heads. And it sounds too like the confluence of factors brought you to the very exactly right place at the right time to do what you love and to share it with others.
1: Yes. And I think more than anything, I teach fear management. Okay. which is why it's so very, very helpful for a lot of people. That's a great thing about, you know, saying, okay, we're doing improv. Like as soon as I say that, and I'm doing it with professional personal development or teaching an improv class, everybody goes, Gah! you know, right. <laughs> and when I get to do it on zoom, it's double the fun. Cause I'll say two words, breakout room and improv and everybody's in the <laughs> right. Got to go. So that's great. So now we have that fear-based voice is there and now we get to play with it. And now we get to get a workout in that gym of quieting those internal messengers of unhelpful judgment and fear. And that's the practice, that's the practice. Because if, they're, if we're listening to our inner critic, We're not hearing what's happening in the moment, but it's always going to be there because it's the part of a human experience. I still hear it. I still hear it all the time. If I'm in a show and I'm in the second act and I'm watching the first act, I still hear these silly messages that say, you forgot how to improvise. You're not as good as these guys. You probably shouldn't be doing this. Is the back door unlocked? You can sneak out. It's not too late. You know, like that nonsense. And so now I just, I always say, I tip my hat to it. I just like tip my hand. Oh, hello, you funny, right. funny messengers, um, and we say swipe left. Just swipe left.
0: Right. I love <laughs> it. All right, tell me really quickly about the book:
1: Improvisation at the Speed of Life. I think
0: so. Is that yours? Is that the one you wrote? <laughs> yes, I wrote a couple books. I wrote one. Oh, book.
1: okay. I wrote one book for my uh, my kid. That is a sci-fi book for kids on the autism spectrum that uses sci-fi to teach communication skills. And then I convinced my two favorite, imp- like I think they are. I mean, they're arguably the best improvisers in the world. Uh, I convinced them to write a book and let me. Help them with it. And that was, they are TJ Jagodowski and David Pasquese. And so together we wrote Improvisation at the Speed of Life, the TJ and Dave book. So it's about how they perform improvisation, which is a really mindfulness based way. It's really about living these two people's lives or these people's lives that it's just like what you were saying, what real life is, but it's like a microcosm of that, that these people that they're going to play in their show exist already. And how can we live in their f- shoes and in their bodies for this period of time and be, be as true to it and as, uh, get, offer them as much dignity and honor as possible. So that, that's those guys. And now I'm working on a book for my students to be a companion book. So all this stuff that I teach, I want it to be in writing.
0: Lovely. All right. Well, when that's done, I will reach out. We can chat again. <laughs> So the question, Pam, as we start to wrap up that I ask everybody on the podcast, because the podcast is about intuition. How does your intuition speak to you? How do you experience that yourself?
1: That's it. Yeah. I've been thinking so much about that. And I, like, I start first thing in the morning, I stretch for 10 minutes. It's one of my new new self-care, newish self-care things. And I've been using, instead of like putting on a yoga video or something like that, I've learned because my, because my body is goofy that it doesn't work for the way other people think it should work, it doesn't work for my body. So I use a really intuitive practice of like, what do you need right now back, you know? So that's how I start my day, just being in touch with that intuition. And then the meditation, you know, I'll, I'll do 10 minutes of meditation afterwards. It's like, what do I need today to get into the day? And that's what improv is. Like it, the, we ask, how can we be of service? My job is an improviser is not to be funny. It's not about being funny at all. In fact, that's a I need to train people out of that oftentimes. It's about accepting the reality of the moment and moving forward with positivity. It's about being of service to each other, to the moment, to the show, right? So how can I be of service? And that's how I use my intuition. It's like, what does this moment need and how can I be of service? So you just pay attention and you quiet down those unhelpful voices and messages that, uh, won't help us get there in a joyful, useful way. And then hopefully it works
0: out. <laughs> I love it. That is one of the most unique and beautiful answers I've had to this question. And I have asked it many times now, no, so I thank win. you so much. <laughs> yeah, I guess. All right. <laughs> if people want to work with you or find you, where do they do that? How do they do that?
1: It's easy to find me. You can go to happiervalley.com. All, everything is on there. You could also just Google Pam Victor. I come up on there. But if you go to happiervalley.com, everything that we're doing, the happiness experiment is up there. Sometimes I do free mini workshops to give people a taste of the happiness experiment. All sorts of cool stuff. Whatever I'm doing uh, is going to be on there.
0: So perfection. And you know, as always, we'll have all of that information too in the show notes. So you can look for it there as well. Pam, before we wrap up, any other words of wisdom you'd like to share with listeners?
1: Yeah, I'm feeling like I really need to share with your listeners. I call it like listening and affirming and honoring your you-ness, which I spell Y-O-U-N-E-S-S. It's the thing that makes you you, your authentic voice. And people come to me and they're like, say, I could never improvise because I'm not funny or whatever. Like And that's not what improvisation is. It's about teaching you that what you have to offer is enough. And that's your greatest asset. So if I can help anybody facilitate quieting the inner critic so you can amplify your own authentic voice, I think that's what the
0: world needs right now, most of all. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you so much for sharing your magic with me, with the listeners today. And most importantly, Pam, thanks for being you.
1: Oh, thank you for being you.
0: All right. And thanks everybody for tuning in and namaste. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you found joy, strength, inspiration, and clarity from today's episode Thank you so much again, and namaste. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.